Welcome to the Hot Esquina Podcast, the trade deadline special, the finale, starring Gary Sheffield Jr. That name might sound a little familiar to y'all, and it should because he is the son of one of the greatest baseball players of all time, in my opinion, Gary Sheffield. Played for the Yankees for a little while. Y'all might know him. Gary, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How about yourself? I'm uh, I'm just uh, trying to rebound from our little trade deadline fiasco. I know some people were really excited about it. Um, we got Frankie Montes, um, really good arm. I think he's a lot better than what people think. And then we had a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, uh, I know we got a, you know a center fielder. Um, you know, he's really good defensively. He's not healthy. But um, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a great deadline until all of a sudden we we started making moves I didn't get. People are satisfied. I mean, I saw I saw people go from their expectations. Their expectations were Luis Castillo. Everyone thought we were getting him. I know I talked to Sean off air, and Sean even said I didn't expect Luis Castillo to get done. And frankly, I was in the same boat. I didn't expect a deal to get done because I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, your expectations are one player. All you need are a couple of people, a couple of writers just saying, yeah, the, the Reds are not high on, on, uh, on, on this player or the Washington Nationals are not high on Anthony Volpe. All that, that's all it takes. A couple John Heyman's, a couple Ken Rosenthal's, all they have to do is write that, well, they wanted this player. And the New York Yankees have players every single season on their no trade list. And if you look at other organizations that actually have fans that believe in their front office, they don't have such players. There are no untouchables. When you're adding players like Luis Castillo, teams like the Seattle Mariners, teams that are desperate to win, that's a desperation to win. That's what we want. And they give up guys that you otherwise wouldn't want to trade. But when you get a guy like Luis Castillo, they're worth trading. And, and does it mean that necessarily you're not giving up great value? No, I think that you do have to give up guys like Marte who were involved in that trade to Seattle. Those are, are back to Cincinnati. Those are type trades where you have to look at and go, ah, the, the value there is a little tough to swallow. But then you just turn around and say, yeah, well, we got Luis Castillo. And the Yankees didn't do that. The Yankees went and got Frankie Montes, Harris Bader, or Harrison Bader, got a great defensive center fielder. But other than that, like we really didn't make a monster splash the way that we wanted to. And that was disappointing. You got to give to get, you know what I'm saying? Like the old cliche goes. And I just feel like the way the Yankees and Brian Cashman like to approach trades and the trade deadline in general is they like to swoop in and take right. without giving. Yeah, you might get away with it every now and then where, you know, you might get a general manager that you con into giving you something great and you didn't give up much. but you know, a lot of these general managers are general managers for a reason. They're not stupid. You're not going to fleece them all. Well, they're what they're trying to do, Brian Cashman's job right now, essentially all of his good moves that you can say that he's made, he's just poached off of organizations that have no interest in spending. Um, he likes to make trades with these, the Oakland Athletics, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Pittsburgh Pirates. A lot of those organizations like the Miami Marlins, you can go get a Giancarlo stand without giving up prospects because they don't want to find value. They are not interested in value there. I mean, you can literally throw them bits and pieces and they're like, yeah, well, if you're willing to pay Giancarlo 300 million, we'll give them to you. Essentially we got Giancarlo on a free agent deal. Mm -hmm. And it was honestly a very cost-effective free agent deal based on what he's given us. So 
We just have to, we're looking around the league. Brian Cashman's looking around the league and saying, can I fleece this team? If the answer is no, he pivots. He'll call and ask and see, hey, can I fleece you? Can I fleece you? These organizations are too smart. This is not 1987 where teams are just giving up superstars on cost-effective contracts and they're also winning. No, those teams are also looking for those same deals. They're not stupid. So when you're talking about going to get a superstar and players like Juan Soto become available and the Yankees have guys, any person, any player in that farm system on a no trade, you know we're doing things wrong. I could not agree more with Gary in, in this moment. We've talked off air about this and and we were agreeing on a lot of topics, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough when you're tiptoeing around. When you're tiptoeing around, you know, for players and leagues and you don't want to go for the big dog like me and Gary were talking about, you know, you're not it's very hard to win that way. And the last right. time we we went for the big dog and we went all in you know, we won 2009. And, but we saw in the very following year in 2010, where we had another opportunity to get that big dog in Cliff Lee. And we didn't want to give up that, that prospect that was going to be the next best thing. Oh, we don't want to give up the, um, uh, one of our relievers. We don't want to give up this guy. And then it turns out to bite us because then he gets traded to Texas and Texas beats us in the ALCS to go to the world series. And it's like, sometimes People realize in that moment, like, I'll never do that again. But it just seems like that was the beginning of what we're what we're in now. And I, I was telling Gary off air, too, when, when Luis Castillo came in mind and every writer was saying, oh, that's the number one Yankees target. That's the number one Yankees target. I was like, there's no way. It is, there's no way because they're going to ask for a Peraza or a Volpe plus a bunch. And there's no way that the Yankees are going to commit to trading Volpe or any one of those two, top two, three guys Unless, you know, there was something major in return like Castillo and something or, you know, something that would work for the Yankees. There's no way the Yankees are going to go into a deal going, we're, let's, let's have an even trade. They're always trying to win that trade in some way. And they, right. they, they kind of did with Montas. And Montas is great. Hopefully, you know, the shoulder issue doesn't come back to bite us because that would, that would really kill us if, that, if that's a serious issue. But, you know, it's just – it's unfortunate that that's the way Yankees management sort of thing is. And it, it begs the question, how much of it is Cashman? How much of it is Hal Steinbrenner, you know, and, and how much of it is the analytic department? It's just all three of them coming to a head all the time. Yeah. I would expect anytime we see Yankees, number one prospect articles being written, um, Brian Cashman saying, yeah, this is our number one trade, our, our number one target. It can't be a trade. If it's a number one target, the Yankees are already putting out articles, right? They're already talking about, well, we're going to have to pay an, a Yankees tax. No, the Yankees aren't paying a tax. They're not paying a tax. Any person who believes that the Yankees are paying a tax via trade, look at the ranking system, which is essentially what those ranking systems, it tells you what other organizations see about your prospects. Doesn't mean it's the truth. Doesn't mean any of that. But when you're talking about Volpe, when you're talking about players like that, Jason Dominguez, Jason Dominguez is seen as Mickey Mantle in Yankees and prospect land. We talked about him like he was the next coming of Mickey Mantle. He could be an all-time great. He could end up being that. But in terms of what other teams see of him, they don't see that. Not yet. They don't see that. So when you're talking about making these trades, we're sitting here talking about 
Brian Cashman seeing a player that other organizations don't even view as a top 10 prospect in baseball, he sees as an all-time great. He sees as a player warranting holding on to instead of grabbing a, a potential all-time great in a Juan Soto. That's the type of general manager we're dealing with. And are they? do the Yankees have um, – are we dealt a bad hand? No, I don't think so. We're still a really good regular season team, a great regular season team, the best regular season team. But when it comes down to it in the playoffs, are people in Yankee circles, do we feel that confident heading into a series with Houston where we're like, yeah, we're the better team. And if we perform like it, we're headed to the American League Championship Series. If we perform like it, we're going to the World Series. In my opinion, and I feel like there's a lot of opinions around Yankees baseball, is that if we play up to our standards and the Houston Astros play to their standards, they're slightly better than us. And that was not reflected in the trade deadline. In the trade deadline, it seemed to me that we made enough tweaks to make sure that we're still a better team, and I believe we are a better team today than we were before the deadline, while also doing nothing to touch the farm system. We did both. We got slightly better, and we didn't touch the farm. Next year, we'll get slightly better than we were this year, and we won't touch the farm. And that's what we do. We rinse and repeat the same situation over and over again. We all have the same demands, the same wish list. We're up top. We're calling on all the stars. And we do the same procedure. And nobody can say, and they tell you you're a complainer because you want more. But we just want to win. I'm not telling you who to, what to spend, you know, who to go get necessarily. But at the after the trade deadline or in the offseason, if I say, I feel we did everything we could do to win. We should all be satisfied. It could be worse. Like I have my reservations about Brian Cashman, you know, and the way he runs things and the way this front office runs things as far as uh player acquisitions, trades, signings, you know, how Steinburner's uh reluctance to spend. But at the end of the day, it could be worse and you could have like a Dave Dombrowski run in your organization and leaving you with, you know, basically nothing in your farm system. Look what he's done with every organization he's been a part of. He's, yeah, he's brought them championships, but he's left them with literally nothing. Like he's run their farm system dry. The one thing that I will tell people about the Yankees and their view of how to build a team is that they're trying to tiptoe on both sides they want to find win now moves while also not messing up the future. But what mm -hmm. I would say is that the New York Yankees aren't using those players that they claim are building the future. Now, if we're talking about Esteban Florio, um, Anthony Volpe, um, I mean, do you, you see the list goes on, guys. I mean, Jesus Montero, who we never touched. Now, when we're talking about players who are considered the future, we need to have some type of recent history that reflects that. We don't necessarily have a roster today that reflects the moves that we've made in the past, which were not very aggressive moves. We have not been very aggressive in the past, and I feel like we can all agree on that. And when mm -hmm. if we're sitting here saying we have not been aggressive in terms of trading our prospects because we always are looking towards the future, shouldn't our roster today be what we thought it would be? We're looking in left field. We have Andrew Benatendi, someone who we dealt for. We have Aaron Hicks, who we dealt for. We have Aaron Judge, who we drafted. 
our first baseman in Anthony Rizzo was traded for. Our second baseman in Glaber Torres was traded for. Our shortstop, IKF, was traded for. Donaldson was traded for. And we had to give up $25 million to get him. $25 million this year, $25 million next year. We traded for a catcher from Minnesota who hasn't touched the field this year, unfortunately, due to injury, traded for. Garrett Cole, we signed via free agency. Luis Severino is a guy that we had in our system. So when we're talking about the organization, I just listed off eight or nine players, all essentially in the starting starting lineup. They're not homegrown. And this is an organization that has not been aggressive. So if you're not aggressive with your prospects, those prospects need to be on the field. And if they're not on the field, you need to stop and you need to stop the whole these these are impact players. These are impact players. Stop that charade and get aggressive. I want to start it off by talking about, you know, a prospect that became big time in the majors in your father. Um, this I got to tell you, is surreal, you know, interviewing you. You know, especially for me as someone that lives in South Florida. So I got to, you know, as a Yankee fan that lives in South Florida, I got to witness your dad, not only from afar, you know, doing big things for the Yankees, but I also got to see him live down here when he was playing for the Marlins for a little while. You know what I'm saying? I I got to go to Dolphin Stadium, you know, back then when the Marlins were sharing it with the Dolphins and got to see him smack a few home runs in, in person. Seeing him last night, you know, in the documentary, the captain, and, you know, by the way, he's still looking sharp, man. He's got the beard going. He's looking good. You know what I'm saying? You you look a lot like him, Gary. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I got to tell you, I know we were talking off air about this, but as a young kid that saw him live, like I said, and grew up in the golden era of baseball, like we were talking about, there were three swings that I emulated a lot as a kid. It was Ken Griffey Jr. It was Alex Rodriguez and it was your father. Like those were the three stances that I often imitated. Did you ever, you know, as cliche as it's going to sound, and I'm sure you've been asked this by a ton of people. Did you ever try to imitate your dad's swing? Maybe one time in practice in high school. And I, I, I always felt like I'm going to stay, you know, I'm going to stay in my own lane and do what I want to do. And, and whatever stance it was, because I felt like my dad, when he built that stance and this was, you know, in the minor leagues, my dad's looking at it and saying, you know, what can I do? That's going to make me the best player I can be. Well, I felt like I was going to do the same thing. I was going to do, you know, hit with the stance that was the most effective for me. And from anybody who can tell you, even in playing in wiffle ball, wiffle ball maybe is a little easier, but hitting with that stance was just not as easy as he made it look. And uh, it, it's more simplified of a waggle than what people think, because people think he's just waggling his bat while the pitch is on its way. And there was a timing mechanism to it. That was like the whole purpose of it was to help him with his timing, help him figure out when he's loading, when to get his hands back into position to hit. and a lot of people didn't really understand that fundamental of that stance. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's just nice to hear people excited about an era that my dad was a huge part of because there was just a whole bunch of pride in that era of baseball. People were just excited to be at the park. The players had pride in playing every day, which you don't see a lot today. Um, You'll see guys play three or four days in a row 
and you're excited for for day five and six. And next thing you know, they've got a day off with a day off the next day. And, you know, part of that's, you know, it's not their fault. It's the front office. But the error, it was just such a perfect error because you had guys who were prideful about the game of baseball and the front offices were more out of their way. So you got a chance to really see who each player was. And I'm just happy that I got to live through that era. Speaking of the deadline still, I kind of want to focus on the last trade we made, which was the Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader trade. Um, I think everyone in Yankee land was kind of uh, thrown for a loop there because I think at the time everyone was was expecting to acquire a pitcher. Right. The rumors out there were Pablo Lopez, maybe Carlos Rondon is, is out there. Who knows? Maybe somebody else. And then all of a sudden to, to get the, the tweet from John Heyman at the, at 5:59 saying, "Oh, you know, we're not the Marlins are not shopping uh, Pablo Lopez anymore." And then in like the same minute, you get the trade for for the Cardinals and, and Montgomery. You know, you almost thought like, "All right, so who's replacing Montgomery?" And then obviously right. nobody does. Um, I was very upset for the first like day or two, but then I I started to look at it differently. And before I do that, I, I wanted to ask you about uh about it. What did you think of the trade? Well, I don't think I'm alone in just the confusion of we gave up a lot of our pitching depth because that seemed to be an issue with Sevy out. I know people have talked about Clark Schmidt maybe being called up and putting some faith into him, which, you know, I like, but at the same time, I, I was hearing a lot of reports about whether or not Brian Cashman made this Jordan Montgomery move for Bader, having an understanding that they had a trade in place for somebody else. And I've had a few people mention this to me. And to be quite honest with you, I just don't think that makes any sense. And the reason I say that is because anyone in the order of business, especially in a business where you're going to be making trades, you don't give up an expendable piece until it's expendable. And Brian Cashman's smart enough. He's been in this business long enough where there's no way to me, you made a trade with somebody saying, yeah, we don't need this piece any longer because we've got this in the wings. We've got this trade in the bag back here. You got to wait till that trade's done before you come back and say, yeah, we don't need this piece. And from my perspective, we really just replaced Jordan Montgomery with Frankie Montes. And we gave up a lot of our depth. Those Domingo Herman starts, they're going to be there now. Um, now there's Domingo Herman starts are going to be there for the foreseeable future until Clark Schmidt is called up ultimately, or if he's not, it's until Seve returns. And in my opinion, that's not putting enough emphasis on the regular season because I want to play these playoff games at Yankee Stadium. We're going to be playing the Houston Astros. I don't want to be playing in Houston. I mean, having Yankees fans and Yankees front office and their players, haven't we had enough playing in Houston? I'm tired of watching those games. Every time we watch them, we get walked off. It's every time. And where the magic happens for Yankees baseball is at Yankee Stadium. We've got, we did not work this hard to lose home field. And I know home field doesn't mean everything. You can still win a World Series. It's been done. But to make moves that are directly going to probably help orchestrate losing home field, I can never really be a huge fan of that. But I do like, you know, to extend an olive branch to Brian Cashman, I do like Frankie Montes. I think he's a lot better than what people think. And you saw what he did to Aaron Judge at Yankee Stadium. The dude was nasty. I was at that game. The dude can pitch. I'm excited. Uh, regarding Montgomery and Bader before that, um, 
I felt like, yeah, there there might have been a pitcher um, that could have been in the works. But I also think it was kind of an October move because if you really think about it with Montgomery on the team, um, you have to wonder whether Montgomery would have even been a starter in, in the postseason. You would have had four guys already in your rotation because of how great Nestor's been and, you know, now with Montas, Cole, and Severino. Uh, what, what, how much room would you really had for Montgomery and Tyone also kind of tying into the back of the bullpen for a playoff series. And then you get someone like Bader with speed and good defensive uh, center fielder. So I think that's kind of where he's seeing that move with the fact that he's not coming back till mid September anyway, you know, that's, that's how I saw it going down. I think, uh, like you said, the bullpen pieces are, are a key piece now, um, you know, hopefully it ends up working out because our starting pitching, I mean, our bullpen has been used so much this season. So hopefully these two guys can help, you know, with, with the, with the load. But I actually want to ask you a question. Um, I asked, I asked Eric Bowen the, this exact same question, but with the way the roster is right now, um, you know, Montas is not technically on the active roster. And then when he does, a pitcher will have to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people want to think it's going to be Herman or, you know, uh, Lucas Lickey or Albert Abreu, any of those guys, but, um, I don't think Herman's going down cause he's a starter now. And then Abreu and Lickey have no more options. So if you send them down, you lose them, you know, they'll go to another team. And that's why I wanted to ask you, who could you see being the odd man out for when Montas is active? Well, you said who has the options? Um, I was saying Abreu and Licky don't have options. In my opinion, you you got to work with the options. I mean, you pretty much put yourself in a situation where, and, and I know, you know, I'd prefer if Lucas Licky went down, but you you didn't have any options. And to me, I mean, you can't just get rid of a guy. So, um, the Yankees have essentially with that Montgomery trade told their fan base that we're shifting our emphasis from the regular season and being the best team in the regular season to building for a three, five game series with, you know, we're, we, we got to figure out if we walked in today to a series with Houston, we've got to be better defensively in center field, which I think we all agree there. Um, we got to make sure Aaron judge is on the field. And to be quite honest with you guys, the best way to keep a guy who's six, seven, 282 pounds on the field is to get him out of center field. Doesn't mean that it's like he's he's not on the coal he's not on the coal mines. Uh, you know, it's not not that daunting on your body. But when you're talking about having a big guy out there, I mean, having a say Jordan Alvarez and saying, why don't you go play center field for a couple games? That's not the best way to keep him on the field. And if Aaron Judge is not on the field, we're not beating Houston. We're not even close. So I think the Yankees know that. And while I don't like kind of going halfway on the regular season, getting rid of Monty, because that get, gets rid of a lot of our depth in terms of our starting pitching. But in a playoff series where all the rotations shrink, it's all usually about a four-man four, four man rotation. Everybody kind of does that. And then you have like a little long reliever like Patrick Corbin, like what you saw in Washington in 2019. So I think in a playoff series, we're a better team. Um, so I think there's no question about that post Montgomery trade I, I know it's it's a head scratching move at the time because of what it does to us in this moment we're walking into St. Louis in my opinion we're not a better team in a regular season scenario but 
when the team has Bader in center field and uh, Benintendi in left, Aaron Judge in right with Giancarlo DHing, defensively we're a better unit. And we've got to be better defensively because these games are all going to be, I mean, what have they been? One, two run games. We need timely hitting. We need to field the ball. We need to throw the ball. The one question mark, in my opinion, right now that I'm still seeing is IKF at shortstop. IKF, in, and I know a lot of people say, well, he's not as good as they told us he was going to be. I actually don't agree. He is exactly what they told us he was. He was a gold glove third baseman. And anytime you move a gold glove third baseman, there's a reason that gold glove third basemans, there's a reason shortstops move to third base and not third base to shortstop. It's hard to play shortstop. Very difficult. The throws more difficult. The timing of the throws are more difficult. And you got to cover more ground. Those are three things that IKF was not doing in Texas when he won gold glove. So in my opinion, now that he's not traded, Oswald Peraza should be given an opportunity here in the regular season since we're not putting an emphasis on it anymore. We got to put somebody who gives us the best chance in October. And if playing Oswald Peraza, giving him two you know, two months and some change until postseason time, giving him some playing time, let him get his feet wet. That gives us the best opportunity to win in October. And and I got to say, I'm pushing for Peraza. Speaking of being better, you said that you would call a Peraza, and I'm completely of that thinking and that mindset. I feel like they should. I want to ask you one other alternative that's been on the minds of a lot of Yankee fans uh, over the last 24 hours. How would you feel about a D.D. Gregorius reunion? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and I love D.D. Gregorius is honestly, a, he's a great dude. Um, I liked him. I liked all the emojis he was doing on Twitter. It was fun. But in terms of being a baseball player, we're trying to win a World Series. I'm not trying to have a likable team. Um, it was the same thing with Donaldson when they got a guy. Everyone's like, he's not very likable. I'm like, who cares? If he can help them win, then that's the move we should make. And I'm not saying I, you know, I agreed with the Donaldson pickup, but the idea of it was that he was going to be, you know, the edge. He's going to be, you know, more of a mean guy. So, but no, in terms of IKF, IKF is doing exactly what we paid him to do. He is a, he is a gold glove third baseman who's, you know, struggling a little bit to be, um, you know, struggling a little bit to be um, a gold glove shortstop, which is kind of what people are looking for. And that's not who he is. That's not who he's been paid to be as a professional. So um, Oswald Peraza, to me, gives the Yankees the best opportunity to win um, potentially. And the Yankees have to see through that potential as soon as possible. Moving on to another trade the Yankees made. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think of the moves that the Yankees made to upgrade the bullpen? Do you like the Scott Efros and Lou Trevino signings or acquisitions rather? Well, Scott Efros, I mean, he's put up good numbers this year. I mean, he pitched well for Chicago. So, I mean, he's a good pickup. And Trevino, obviously, when you look at the stat sheet, his numbers are, are poo-poo. But the, the advanced numbers show that he's a lot better than what those numbers are indicating. And we have to remember that, you know, while I am hard on Brian Cashman, he does a good job of finding, you know, fringe impact players. Um, you know, when we, when we went and got Clay Holmes, Clay Holmes didn't have a heavy market. Uh, there's a reason for that. 
And a lot of that was that looking at the basic numbers like ERA and and sometimes those numbers do tell a story. But for some players, you know, that are high spin, high velocity, you can do something with those guys. And other organizations can do more with a certain player than, you know, one organization could. And I think that's what the Yankees were doing with Trevino. Because if if they're picking up a guy and assuming, okay, well, his ERA is like six. If he's going to be that guy for the Yankees, then it's a terrible pickup. But the Yankees obviously think they're going to do more with him. But in ter- and you saw in his first in his first um, appearance, he he looked pretty good. But in terms of what they did with the bullpen, I've got to say I like it. Um, I'm not going to get mad at adding bullpen pieces because this bullpen right now is um, very sketchy in terms of what we were seeing with Aroldis Chapman, what we're seeing from Jonathan Loizaga. Those two guys are just not reliable right now. And can that change? Absolutely. Chapman's had, you know, a little bit of a step in the right direction. But in what season what in what season did Aroldis Chapman not have steps in the right direction? He's always had, he's always been hot. Then he's the he was the best pitcher last year in all of baseball first half. Second half, he's the worst pitcher ever. Then you get to the playoffs, he's terrible. Then you get to this year, he really wasn't good all year. He's having a little hot streak right now. And come playoff time, do do the three of us have confidence in a role to Chapman? I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say we do. So anytime we're adding arms that you can consider, yeah, we added one reliable guy, two reliable guys. I'm happy about that. It was the other moves that I wasn't too thrilled about. My my final question to you is kind of focusing on on the future here. Um, you know, now we're playing we're playing St. Louis. Uh, Carpenter gets his reunion probably tonight. Um, you know, we'll face Montgomery on Saturday. Montas will make the uh, Yankee debut Sunday. So we have some exciting things for all three days. And then we have a nice road trip with, with Seattle after that. Uh, how do you see one? How do you see the series going in, in a short term answer? And then uh, long term, how, how do you see this season playing out? Long term, I- I'm going to start off with saying the series. So the St. Louis series. Um, it should go well. Um, we hit lefties pretty well this year. I mean, we saw it um, a couple of days ago with um, can't remember who it was that threw for Seattle. Just got absolutely shelled. Um, so we do see lefties well, especially like those craft lefties, guys like Jordan Montgomery, who are not going to overpower you. And Frankie Montes is a much better arm than what people think he is. And he's much more powerful in terms of his stuff, because I know, when Nestor struggles, when Jordan Montgomery struggle, struggles, when Jamo struggles, a lot of that is bad location. But another part of it is that they don't have the stuff to get away with poor location. Frankie Montes has the stuff to get – he can actually get away with it. He's touching 98, 99 miles an hour. He can get up to 100. He's got a nasty splitter. And I want to see that splitter go to work because we don't see many pitchers um, I know we saw like a Roldis Chapman who went away from a splitter, com- like essentially went completely away from a splitter. You know, part of that could be that, you know, pitching coach Matt Blake is is trying to emphasize, put his emphasis on the, on the roster. Well, if that's the case, Frankie Montes has to be able to, and I know people think, well, if that's, you know, a main part of his game, they won't try to change and, and make him not throw his splitter as much, but we did it with Sonny Gray. Um, uh, we did it with Sonny Gray a while back. We didn't let him throw a four-seam fastball. We essentially put people in a box to allow them to throw their pitches. And and that was frustrating. But 
I would assume Matt Blake's a smart enough guy. He's more forward thinking and he's going to let him go to work. So I see this St. Louis series going really well, but in terms of this regular season, I see us kind of just pushing along, plugging a wall, plugging along. We might play some 500 ball the rest of the, the rest of the year. And uh, maybe some slightly above that, but in the playoffs, I think we're more suited today, like a lot better off with um, Bader in center field. I think we're way better off with Bader in center field than Aaron Hicks. And that doesn't mean Aaron Hicks can't pinch hit every once in a while, whatever in a situation, but we are much better in center field. Um, whether or not we're going to get better at shortstop, I don't know. I don't know the answer because you got a bunch of different answers. People are giving you, we, we're not going to touch him till next year. But it's like, if we're not going to touch him till next year, isn't he really a third baseman? Because Volpe is supposed to be a shortstop. So it, it's kind of difficult to figure out what we're doing. All I can say is, Gary, let's just hope that all these moves translate to world championship number 28 because it's it's been too long, man. Like, watching episodes five and six of The Captain last night got me all types of emotional being like, wow, dude, it's been that long, huh? So yeah. <laughs> hopefully these moves uh translate to that, man. Um, Thank you. Thank you for coming on with us, Gary. Seriously, man, this was a lot of fun. Of course, man. Thank you. Um, It's always nice talking about Yankees baseball and, and frustrating at the same time because it feels like we we kind of tread water. Like we we make good moves, but then we don't go all the way with it. And hopefully that the fact that we went this deadline, we didn't go all the way with some moves. We didn't really go. No team out there goes, oh, the Yankees, they're really going for it. No one really said that about us. You can always say they got better. They got better. But the question isn't necessarily, did they get better? It's really, is it enough? And that's that's all that's going to matter in October. You want to get that first round by and have an easier road right. to the World Series. You don't want to you know, make it tougher on yourself. So for our sake and, you know, for all of Yankees fans to sake, hopefully they play better than 500 baseball and hopefully they don't just, you know, coast through the regular season and not put an emphasis on that because I feel like that would be a mistake. But, um, but like I said, man, thank you. Thank you for, for your insight. Thank you for your time. Um, I want to give you this opportunity to, um, you know, give out your socials, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your work. Um, so yeah, you can find me at Gary Sheffield Jr. on all platforms, whatever it is you use. Um, um have a TikTok. I don't use it, but I, I pretty much just scroll there for funny videos and send my fiance. But um, yeah, Twitter is really where I do most of my work. And um, I'm starting a YouTube show of my own. So um I'll have all that information on Twitter for everybody um we're getting all the equipment set up all the cameras uh, we're trying to get all the nicest equipment we can because um doing a podcast is hard and i'm trying to you know it's it's always difficult it's hard to stay persistent and um it's something i look forward to doing it's a big challenge so from myself my partner sean and gary sheffield jr we thank you for listening to the hottest Kina podcast the trade deadline special the finale. Take care, folks. Go Yanks.